this evening, again, we're in Judges chapter 20. I want to start out, as I did last time, by reading just one verse, because this is the final verse of the whole book. Imagine that. This is how it ended. Judges chapter 20, verse, uh, I mean, Judges chapter 21, verse 25, says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And this basically sums up the whole book. We have a people who um, have failed the Lord over and over and over again, and yet at the same time we see a faithful God who, regardless of what they did, um, would correct them, discipline, judge them, and bring them back. His whole desire was to bring them back into right standing before him. That was his whole purpose for doing what he was doing. And, um, but this is how it was in that day, and so... In, in much the same way, we see that with our own society, our own culture, uh, what we're doing today. It, it's not much different than what we read about in these pages of Scripture and specifically within the book of Judges. So this evening, uh, before we go into this chapter, I just want to say we've definitely witnessed up to this point a broken people as far as sinfulness is concerned. As far as rejecting God and worshiping uh, idols is concerned, uh, broken as far as the people who have not taken their God seriously is concerned, and have actually exchanged the creator of the universe as Lord and God for dead imaginations of their mind that only serve to direct them to destructive destinations. Idolatry. They're broken in that sense to where any idol that we find ourselves worshiping, just as they did, is a product of our own imagination. Think about that for a moment. A broken people who have not submitted themselves to the restorative power of God that comes by way of genuine repentance and constant, consistent submission of themselves to His governance and His lordship. That's one thing as we reflect on what we're learning this evening and what we've learned up to this point, we ought to heed, we ought to consider. We need desperately within the church uh, a revival of our own hearts, uh, repentance, uh, a broken and contriteness before a holy and righteous God. We, We need that more than ever before. We're already full of ourselves. We don't need more of ourselves. We need more of the Lord, of His Spirit in our lives, and more of Him Uh, possessing us and leading us and directing us in our lives. We don't need us. Tonight we see how Israel is finally willing to deal with sin. But we will see that because they have sinned themselves for so long, this dealing will come with consequences for all of Israel. It won't just be for for the tribe of Benjamin. Not just for those who uh, were in the city of Gibeah. Uh, but also for all of Israel. And we'll see how that works out. Nonetheless, we will learn how to also not give up when we are faced with defeats. Because this is what we ought to consider. As, we, as we've gone through this, we can you know, cast stones at Israel, Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin. We can, we can just really just get down on them because they've failed God so much for so long, in so many ways for so, so long, Right? But, but listen, these are still God's chosen people. I mean, can you imagine if over the course of our lives, we fail God, we fail God, we fail God, we fail God. And yet we're his people. 
And if we were to judge them and say, you know what, God should do away with them. <laughs> How could they ever do this? Then really we're casting judgment on ourselves too. Thank God we're not God, right? I am so thankful that God is merciful, compassionate, long-suffering. He's full of grace. He loves us with a perfect love. And he just waits for that moment that we turn to him in repentance, rejecting that which is sinful, that which is opposed to him, and instead embrace him and all the goodness that is of him. He's just waiting for that. And so we see and we need to understand that at any moment that we decide to come back to him, that he's there waiting for us to do so with open arms, ready to embrace us and celebrate. But we are, as we see this, it should drive us to be more faithful to God. That's what it really should drive us to. As we see God's love and his grace, his mercy, his compassion, we see all of those things. It should really drive us to our knees again before a holy and righteous God who is even willing to incline himself to us through his son and provide a way in which we can be restored to him. It should drive us to be even more faithful to God because of that. Heavenly Father, we commit this evening of the study of your word into your hands. Lord, may we consider, may we understand, may we come to know that wherever we are in this place this evening, that you are there with us. Let us have reverence toward you. Let us be serious about this moment that you've given to us. To sit at your feet, to listen to your voice. Lord, to allow you to deepen our faith in you, our trust in you, our love for you, because you are faithful and you love us with an everlasting love. And so we commit this time to you. We ask that you would give us understanding by your Holy Spirit and that you would give us eyes to see what you would have us to see, ears to hear what we need to come to understand and Lord, in the end, give us hearts that are ready to obey and do that which you have before us according to your word, that we may glorify you. Bless you, Father. And so we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Judges chapter 20, verse 1. Then all the people of Israel came out from Dan to Beersheba, including the land of Gilead, and the congregation assembled as one man to the Lord at Mizpah. And the chiefs of all the people of all the tribes of Israel presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God. 400,000 men on foot that drew the sword. And so we have this introduction uh, of the gathering, the assembling of the Israelites. It was after the Levite divided his concubine into 12 pieces and sent her throughout all of the territory of Israel that the tribes all came together and gathered at Mizpah. And so I want to draw from what we learned last week and then come bring us into this, this chapter that we're studying this evening. And so we need to notice that they assembled in Mizpah. But how is it that it's described that they assembled? If you look with me once again in verse 1, 
In the second part, it says, and the congregation assembled as one man. So they were unified. They were of one people to the Lord. And that's very important. Number one, they were in unity. Number two, they were in unity in the Lord. And they were gathered before the Lord. And that's really important. And it wasn't just the people, but also the leaders of the people gathered together with them. You know, when everyone gathers together, the leaders are gathered together. And they're gathered together before the Lord. They, it, what, what this is saying is that they are ready at that moment, gathered together to hear from the Lord. Everyone, the leaders and the people together, we want to hear from you. We're gathered before you, Lord. We want to hear what you have to say about this whole situation. At this point, it seems like what took place in Gibeah finally got their attention. And they assembled themselves to get the details and deal with the sin as God had prescribed for them to deal with. You know, they they were finally at that point, we want to hear from you, but we want to hear the facts, the details of what had taken place in Gibeah, so that with those facts, with the truth, we can then deal with the sin that has occurred. It took a lot to get Israel to get to this point. It, It took a lot. And I wonder what it would take for God's people to deal with sin, compromise, spiritual laziness, worldliness, and I could go on and on and on and on. I don't know how many of you have had to be put into a, in a place to where it's like you had to almost be completely devastated in order for you to consider the sin that you were involved in. But sometimes we need that. And I tell you, that's the most loving thing that our God could do, is bring us to the point of just absolute brokenness. Because I can tell you, as I look back at my, at my own life, that the Lord allowed me to get to that very place. To that very place, to where I was completely broken before the Lord. I was the dumb one. I was the one that, 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 didn't, that didn't heed his warnings. That just kept going. I was full of myself. I was, you know what, Lord, uh, I, I, I can do whatever I want and, and still be okay. And there was, there was a point when the Lord got my attention. And I wonder why it is that so many people have to get to that point to where God has to get your attention with such uh, uh, just a, a heavy situation for you to repent and turn to him. Because he'll, he'll do it. He disciplines those whom he loves. Is what the Bible tells us, right? Deuteron- Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 12 through 18. These verses state very clearly how to deal with the abomination of drawing away the people to idolatry. Oh, if we were, were to take that seriously today. <laughs> whoo, we would, we would have a cleansed church. I'm telling you, Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 12 through 18, gives clear instructions to the Israelites as to how to deal with people who commit the abomination of leading God's people away and into idolatry. We have people within the church today that are doing the very same thing, leading many people astray. 
And that's why it's important for us to be well grounded, to, to, to know the Word of God well, that we may not only serve to follow the Lord in spirit and in truth, but also be those brothers and sisters who love our brothers and sisters so much that instead of kissing them profusely like an enemy would, that we would wound them sometimes with some truth. You know, the Bible says that profuse are the kisses of an enemy. But what does a friend do? He, he, he wounds sometimes. He wounds. But he's, he's there right there to, to bring you along. This right here is so important. We, we need to understand that, that th- this has not gone away within the church. This has not gone away. This is still here. We, we need to pay attention to what we have here. Deuteronomy chapter 13, again, 12 through 18, uh, tells us exactly how to deal with the abomination of, draw, of people who draw other people away in idolatry. And this was the law of God. This is what, what was handed to the Israelites. And uh, they were to inquire of the facts. Who's doing this? And then devote them to destruction, including the city. This was how sin was dealt with at the time of, in the time, during the time of the Old Testament. If the, if the sin is dealt with and none of the devoted things uh, stick to your hands, then God said he would turn from his anger and show mercy, having compassion and multiply Israel as he had promised. So this was something conditional. He said, listen, you have to deal with the sin. And if you deal with this sin in this manner, then, hey, we will continue on because you will then demonstrate, of course, your faithfulness toward me. And, well, you'll demonstrate your love toward me and the obedience that you carry out in your own life and in the life of of Israel. And so this is the condition. If they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and kept his commandments, he commanded that he commanded them to do this is what he said what was right in his eyes so he would bless them in that sense and he said if you do these things that's what's right in my eyes in other words it's implied if you don't do these things then it's what it's wrong in my eyes right it's really simple when you take a look at the word and and you look at it as as this is explicit but then this is implied in this it's really important as you lay it out Okay? If you do this, but if you don't do it, then it's not right, right? Is that easy to understand? Okay. So at this point, we see Israel assemble at Mizpah for the express purpose of dealing with the sin of Gibeah and to search out the facts and to find out whether what they heard was true or not. This was what they gathered to do. So verse 3 says, Now the people of Benjamin heard that the people of Israel had gone up to Mizpah, and the people of Israel said, Tell us, how did this evil happen? And the Levite, the husband of the woman who murdered, uh, who was murdered, answered and said, I came to Gibeah that belongs to Benjamin, I and my concubine, to spend the night. And the leaders of Gibeah rose against me and surrounded the house against me by night. They meant to kill me, and they violated my concubine, and she is dead. So I took hold of my concubine and cut her in pieces and sent her throughout all the country of the inheritance of Israel, for they have committed abomination and outrage in Israel. Behold, you people of Israel, all of you, give your advice and counsel here. So Israel wanted to find out. They wanted to hear, 
How was it that, that this evil happened? And, and, and the Levite told them everything that took place. Almost. Right? He almost told them everything that took place. Notice how the Levite gave them the details, but not all of them. He didn't give them all of the details. He didn't mention how the old man whose house they were in had coldly offered up his virgin daughter and the Levite's concubine in his place, or that he finally gave them his concubine because they had persisted. Remember, they kept knocking, they kept... You know, we bring him out, bring out the Levite, bring out the Levite, bring out the Levite. And the Levite said, no, I'm not going out here. Miss, you, right out. There you go. She's all yours. And they remember that they uh, violently uh, raped her and abused her to the point to where uh, just as the sun was coming up in the morning, uh, she crawled back to the house and she died at the doorstep of the house. She didn't make it. He kind of, he kind of left that out. He just said what he wanted to say. It's kind of, sometimes we can, we can do that. So we, we don't want to give all the details because we don't really want to paint us in bad light, right? And so we just give some of the details. Well, really before the Lord, we need to give him everything, right? We just, just confess it all. We need to give him everything, Lord. As far as my confession to you, the reflection of my, the way my heart has been, the way it is now is, is not right. I give it all to you. It's not just my actions, but my, what my intentions have been, what my motives have been. They're not right. So I give them to you. It needs to be a full confession to the Lord. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we, we need to give him everything. This Levite, he, he was one that knew the law very well. And um, he was a man who was supposed to be set aside to serve the Lord. And yet, at this moment, as he was telling them what, was, what had taken place, he omitted some very important details. But we go on, because even in that, they were looking at the details of what the Gibeonites had, had done or not done. Secondly, the Levite thought that it was now right to send pieces of his concubine throughout the territory of Israel to expose the sin of Gibeah, even though he was in the wrong place to begin with. Remember, where was, where was this Levite supposed to be? Wasn't, wasn't he supposed to be yeah, Bethlehem? Was, wasn't he, remember, the other one was from Bethlehem. He was wandering and he was out in the hill country of Ephraim. And here we have another Levite, perhaps, perhaps the same one. So he wasn't even in the, in the right place to begin with. Well, why aren't you back in the place where God had uh, originally uh, put you in? And, and it was, yeah. But this is what I'm saying. It, you know, I've shared with you that as we go through the study of the book of Judges, we see a lot of this, don't we? We, we see a lot of it. E- even though there are some things to where it's like, okay, so... They did some things that were right. They were still, there was still a lot wrong with what they were doing, where they were at, you know, where they were as far as spiritually before the Lord. They were just, they were just in, a, in a bad place. Lastly, he asked Israel for their advice. The advice we should always seek is godly advice, advice that lines up with the Word of God. I don't care who it comes from. I, 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 re- I really don't care about 
what letters follow a name, I, I really don't. Um, PhD, MDIV, um, you know, uh, or before could be. It's it's interesting because I just uh, I read something today that was really hammering uh, on someone else, and and yet um, they signed off as as Reverend so and so. And I don't know. I, to me. Uh, who are we, who are we supposed to revere? Who who is who is reverend? There's only one. The Lord, right? It's it's the Lord. But hey, listen, we should always go to the Word of God. And if what someone is telling us doesn't line up with the Word of God, then their advice isn't worth much. It really isn't. They can share their opinions, their feelings, and that's wonderful. Their, their experience, they can share all of that. But we should always come back to the Word of God. Let that be who advises you, who gives you counsel in the things that you are to deal with that, uh, in, in your life. It has to be that way. We have to come back to that. There has to be some, some standard, some absolute truth that we come back to, and, it, and it's always the word of God. So, they've committed abomination and outrage in, in Israel. Now, verse 7 says, Behold, you people of Israel, all of you, give your advice and counsel here. Well, let's continue and see what that is. Verse 8, And all the people arose as one man, saying, None of us will go to his tent, and none of us will return to his house. Uh, but now this is what we will do to Gibeah. We will go up against it by lot, and we will take ten men of uh, of a hundred throughout all the tribes of Israel, and a hundred of a, th- of a thousand, and a thousand of ten thousand, to bring provisions for the people, that when they come, they may repay Gibeah of Benjamin for all the outrage that they have committed in Israel. So all the men of Israel gathered against the city, united as one man. So when they heard of the details of why this had taken place um, with, in Gibeah with the concubine, and then why it was that the dismemberment of this concubine um, had occurred, and why it was that they were, it was sent um, throughout all of Israel. When they heard all of the details, they united as one to confront the sin of Gibeah. They were ready. They had heard all the details. They heard what had taken place. They were going to make sure that Gibeah was held accountable for what they did. So they organized they gathered provisions, and they assembled as one. Now, for us, as the church, when there is some kind of sin, we should all be united in how it is that we, uh, you know, we're, we're willing to confront. We all come together. Yeah, that, that sin needs to be confronted. We should all be willing to do that. No? Yes, we should be. We should be willing to do, that, to do that. So Israel right now is, is all coming together. We've heard the facts. We, we know everything. And now we're gathered together. The Israelites are gathered together and ready to confront this sin. Now, verse 12, as we continue, the tribes of Israel sent men through, through all the tribe of Benjamin, saying, what evil is this that has taken place among you? Now, therefore, give up the men, the worthless fellows in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and purge evil from Israel. But the Benjaminites would not listen to the voice of their brothers, the people of Israel. 
Then the people of Benjamin came together out of the cities to Gibeah to go out to battle against the people of Israel. And the people of Benjamin mustered out of their cities on that day 26,000 men who drew the sword besides the inhabitants of Gibeah who mustered 700 chosen men. Among all these were 700 chosen men who were left-handed. Everyone could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. And the men of Israel, apart from Benjamin, mustered 400,000 men who drew the sword. All these were men of war. So here we are. We have these men of war. They all came together on both sides, 400,000 for the Israelites. And uh, we have, uh, what, 26,700 um, uh, on Benjamin's side. So there are a lot of people, but of course, the Israelites outnumber uh, the Benjamites. They, they, they got them outnumbered quite a few. And they had um, hundreds of these men who, could, who were so accurate with a sling and stone that what's described here is that they could hit a hair with it. Can you imagine that being so accurate? I mean, try doing that with a 45 at 50 yards, right? You won't do it. But this is what we have. They all assembled. Now, when Israel confronted Benjamin with the abomination they had learned about, they, they asked that the men who were guilty of doing this deed, of raping and murdering the concubine, be released to them so that they could deal with them appropriately. This was great because what they were doing was they were doing what was wise, something that was uh, discerning. Listen, we don't want war with all of you, but this is what is right. That you knowing who these men are, that you would hand them over to us, that we would deal with them in the appropriate manner. And yet they didn't do that. The tribe of Benjamin, what they did was they concealed the identity of those men. And instead, they assembled for war. Benjamin refused to deliver the guilty parties into the hands of the Israelites. They, they were more loyal to the unity of the tribe of Benjamin than to the kingdom of God. I'll repeat that. They were more loyal to the unity of the tribe of Benjamin than to the kingdom of God. How often I see this today. People who are more interested in maintaining peace and unity among the people than in knowing a peace with God first. And who, whoever knows that peace, they then can have peace with each other in Christ. But we first have to seek unity with the Lord, loyalty to the Lord. And when we find loyalty in the Lord and when we pursue that loyalty and that faithfulness to Him, when, when we are uh, aligned with Him, then we can truly be genuinely in fellowship and communion with each other because we are truly one in mind, one in spirit, one in heart. Otherwise, we're splintered. We're, we're of ourselves. We're more, more loyal to a tribe than we are to God. And we should be united in the Lord. Remember that we belong to God, not to each other. And our unity with God will always be more important than unity with each other when it compromises our unity with God. So we, we need to just come to that understanding. We need to understand that. Philippians 3.20 says uh, that our citizenship is in heaven. That's our citizenship. It, it's first and foremost in heaven. And so 
when that which we have as far as even our country is concerned, when it comes in opposition to that which has been given to us as a, as a directive by the Lord, then guess which one should win out? It's the directive that our Lord gives us. Come what may. If the laws of this country ever prohibit the proclaiming of God's word, I guess there's going to be some people in jail. That's just the way it's going to be. Persecution will come. Let it come. He is our Lord. He is our master. Our God and Savior. And Jesus is his name. Verse 18, as we continue, verse 18. The people of Israel arose and went up to Bethel and inquired of God, who shall go up first for us to fight against the people of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. So so verse 18 here, finally, hey, they're inquiring of the Lord. Isn't this awesome? They're finally inquiring of the Lord. And so they go to the Lord and they they ask him, who is it that should go up to fight against the people of Benjamin. And the Lord responded, it will be the tribe of Judah. That is who will go up first. And so this was a great display of their acknowledgement of God in this matter. At this moment, they were seeking what was right in God's eyes and not what was right in their own eyes. And this is what's beautiful. These little glimpses, these little moments in the midst of this such troublesome time, we, we finally see that they were seeking what was right in the Lord's eyes and not in their eyes. This is wonderful. Well, in verse 19, Then the people of Israel rose in the morning and encamped against Gibeah. And the men of Israel went out to fight against Benjamin, and the men of Israel drew up the battle line against them at Gibeah. The people of Benjamin came out of Gibeah and destroyed on that day 22,000 men of the Israelites. Whoa, what happened here? <laughs> right? What, what happened? We inquired of the Lord. He told us, yeah. First tribe, Judah. Go. He said, he said Judah. He said Judah, right? You know, it's like asking. You know, we're all together. Uh, he did say Stephen, right? <laughs> Stephen got slaughtered, man. Did you, did you see that? But we, we heard, right? Was it Stephen? Or, or was it supposed to be someone else? Did, did we miss something here? Because we did what God told us to do. And we lost 22,000 men. What a blow. What a blow. So what happened? Had they heard wrong of the Lord? Did they ask wrongly? Maybe it was maybe maybe I asked wrong. Maybe maybe they didn't ask enough questions. Maybe that was it. We just didn't like we didn't have follow-up questions to that. Right? So okay, so Judah, Judah's to go up. So so when is Judah supposed to be going? And, and are we gonna have like complete victory at this moment? What 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 is it? These are questions we may ask ourselves when we thought we heard right. 
and we act. And then we're faced with setbacks, with defeats. Maybe I didn't hear right. Maybe I didn't ask enough questions. Maybe I I didn't wait on the Lord enough. Did I really hear him? Because, man, was that, that was, that was, that was humbling. That was really humbling. Listen. We don't know. We just know that they were routed and many were killed. They were defeated on that day, but that didn't mean that they had heard wrong from the Lord. Because very clearly do we have here, do we have in God's word that the Lord had told them Judah is first. Correct? So it wasn't that they heard wrong. They heard right. They were sent. And 22,000 men fell that day. You see, I, I, I love, again, how the spirit moves. As Mandy started this evening, and then she goes and she quotes Isaiah 55, 8, and 9, and I have it right here. His plans are be, beyond our thoughts. His, his, his thoughts are beyond our thoughts. His plans are beyond our plans. It, it's just sometimes we, we think we have it figured out or we need to have an explanation given to us. And you know what? He doesn't have to explain anything to us. He really doesn't. Isaiah 55, 8, 9, and I want to say it again. I want to read it. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways uh, higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, we don't know if it was God's discipline toward a disobedient nation or it was simply to bring them to a place of righteous resolve that will keep them faithful to God no matter what happens. Regardless of what it is, it's the Lord's allowance. And in that, just as it was in Job's day, we are to never forsake the Lord, never curse Him, Never blame him, uh, on him, the, you know, those things that he didn't do. He may have allowed, but they were for a purpose. And is he, is he not sovereign God? Is not the hope of heaven enough for us? Is not Jesus sufficient? We need more of this to where when we're tested in much the same way, that, that we keep that righteous resolve in him. That we remain faithful to him. Come what may, it doesn't matter. Lord, uh, you know, please don't take everything away. But hey, listen, if it comes to, you know, having a, a life of Job, Lord, I pray give me the strength to never forsake you. Never, ever, ever forsake you. We need more more Christians that remain faithful to God and don't run. We have too many Christians who are so thin-skinned, who are so weak. I'm, I'm sorry, there's too many weak Christians. Oh, you offend them at church. Oh, they're running. They have, look, hey, listen. According to the word, do you know what we are to do when there's offenses uh, amongst each other? Do you, do you guys know what to do? We are supposed to confront the issue. Not run, but to confront the issue. Why? Because there needs to be resolve, restoration, reconciliation that blesses God. And you know what? We're better off for it. There are too many people 
who uh, sometimes they, because you're not, or I'm, I'm sorry, let, let's just say the church is not, providing somehow for them a comfort that they feel they're entitled to, then they go off to some other place. I'm telling you, it's, it's about comforts. I've heard, I've heard some doozies. I'll tell you what, some really interesting things. Um, yeah, I, I, we can spend the rest of the night with just things, reasons that I've heard that are silly. You, you, got, you got to understand, they, they, they're silly as to why it is that some people have come. You know what, you don't, you don't, have, you, you don't have a playground. I'll just tell you that. You don't have a playground, and, uh, and I really think that that should be something that you, you should, am I wrong? Yeah, a playground. Okay, all right. We need more Christians who are really strong in the Lord, in the Lord. And I pray that we are simply teaching the word of God, and that's, and that's enough. That, that if we're growing as a church, we're growing as a people in the Lord. That's why it's, you know, the word spoken, Jesus known. And as the Lord provides, maybe one day we'll get to a playground. Maybe one day. Until then, help the church grow. Stay where you're at and be a servant of the Lord that we may be at that point ready for an influx of even more people. So we would be there to help them grow, to them help them mature. Right? All right. So let's go on, though. Um, what I want to say, though, is remain humble before a holy and righteous God, number one. Um, Ask him to examine your heart, number two. Ask him to examine your motives. Ask him to examine your intentions. Ask him to help you remain faithful to him, regardless of the outcomes of situations. Those are the things that we need to ask the Lord for. In verse 22, so after that, this is what happened. But the people, the men of Israel, took courage and again formed the battle line in the same place where they had formed it on the first day. And the people of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until the evening. And they inquired of the Lord, Shall we again draw near to fight against our brothers, the people of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Go up against them. So they came back to the same battle line, but they wept. They wept. They were defeated. They had been defeated, and yet they came back again, and they inquired of the Lord. They sought him. This is, this is that spiritual, this is this, this, uh, the tenacity that we see in the, the Apostle Paul, in all the apostles, in many of the, um, the, the disciples of the early church. We see this tenacity, this spiritual tenacity, that it doesn't matter what we're confronted with, what we're hit with, uh, the consequences that we find ourselves in, we remain faithful to God. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'm at the battle line, Lord. I'm weeping before you, but I'm here. And I just want to hear from you. Do we advance again? Do you want us to go into battle one more time? And the Lord said, yes. Go. And whenever the Lord speaks, the only way you can prove that he's your Lord if you say yes, because the Lord is not your Lord if you say no. It's quite the opposite when you say, no, Lord, <laughs> go. No, Lord, not me. Remember that we're his servants. 
and he is the master. Never lose that. When he says go, no matter what we face, we've been faced with before, we go. And so here they go, right? Verse 24, as we continue. So the people of Israel came near against the people of Benjamin the second day. And Benjamin went against them out of Gibeah the second day and destroyed 18,000 men of the people of Israel. All these were men who drew the sword. Lord, we were defeated again. Last time it was 22,000 men, and now 18,000 men have fallen by the edge of the sword. So what do you do now? We've, we've had two great defeats. Two, not one. Two. Do they quit? Maybe at this point, you know what? Maybe because we've, we've been faced with, we've been confronted with such a great opposition. And, and maybe we're not hearing right from the Lord. He's told us twice to go in and twice we've been defeated and suffered great losses. Do we at this point stop our advancement and not deal with this sin? Maybe at this point we just give up. You know who opposes us when we are there to deal with sin? You're fooling yourself if you think that you're not going to be confronted. All right? When we go in, when we advance, all right? When we go in to deal with something that's wrong, we're going to face opposition. Just rest assured, you're going to get it. Because at this point, they could have said, you know what? Maybe we just leave it alone. Let's just not deal with it. This has come at a great cost. You know, hey, we've tried. Haven't we tried? We've tried. And at this point, you know, the Lord sees all things. He, he knows our intentions. He knows our motives. And so, you know, God will deal with that person or those people, whoever it is. And that's it. They could have done that. So should they quit or should they persist and seek the Lord again? Because this is often what we're faced with. In the event we are faced with defeats, the question is, do we give up or do we keep seeking the Lord and wait for him to give us victory in his time? Keep going. There are many lessons that are taught in times of defeat, but do we learn them? There are many lessons that are taught in case you missed it and i didn't say learn i say there are many lessons that are taught in times of defeat but the question is do we learn them seldom does one learn lessons in times of ease in times of easy victories oh what do you learn you you learn how great you were right oh how wonderful i was i just went in and i had this great victory We should give glory to the Lord, but you understand what I'm saying. There's not much that's learned in, like, oh, I, I won. That was pretty easy. The greatest lessons are learned in times of great defeat. What we need to deal with is exposed. 
it, it's, it's humbling. I, I'll tell you what. When you're defeated, when you, when you are handed a defeat, it's humbling. But if you just allow the Lord to expose that which was a weakness in you, whatever it was, oh, then you're, you're ready to deal with whatever that is and then go, go in again. Go in again. Don't quit. Go in again. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. And just as Mandy said, you know what? We don't claim that verse and say at some point we're going to be exalted. It may not be here. <laughs> not this side of heaven. It may be at some point that we learn that those things that we, are hum- that we humble ourselves in and through... We're all glorifying to the Lord. And if the Lord says that to us, oh, that's enough. Oh, son, daughter, what you gave yourself to, all those times over and over and over again, oh, that was beautiful before my eyes. That was right. You were doing what was right, what was glorifying to me. It's fine. We, we don't need to be exalted and pat on the back before, before men. We, we don't need that. We shouldn't be looking for that. So what they do? Verse 26, it says, Then all the people of Israel, the whole army, went up and came to Bethel and wept. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, for the ark of the covenant of God was there in those days. And Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, son of Aaron, ministered before it in those days, saying, Shall we go out once more to battle against our brothers, the people of Benjamin, or shall we cease? And the Lord said, Go up, for tomorrow I will give them into your hand. Psalm fifty-one seventeen says, The sacrifices of our God are a broken spirit and a, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Won't despise these. Won't turn his back on them, in other words. This was repentance, what we just read. This was repentance. This is what it looks like to weep, to fast, to sacrifice. To weep is to exhibit evidence of brokenness before God. To fast is to to deny the flesh and seek the Lord. And to sacrifice is to acknowledge that God is still worthy of being praised and worshipped. And his sacrifice is what will ultimately know the victory in our lives. We are to die with him and so in so doing... We also know life in him. They were denying themselves, picking up their cross and following God. Have you heard that before? Oh, you want to be my disciple? Deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. You see, it's all a denial of the flesh. In fact, he takes it a step further. He says, take up your cross. That means crucify the flesh. Wherever you go, you're crucifying the flesh. It's not a burden that you're carrying. Sometimes we see the crosses. Oh, what's your burden, brother? What's your burden, sister? You know, that's your cross. No, it's not. Your burden that you're carrying is a reminder of the flesh that needs to die on the cross. That's what it is. It needs to be dead. That's it. You're carrying the cross. Just as soon as the flesh is just rearing its ugly head, you just kind of look over. That's right, Lord. It was all done in you. That flesh needs to be crucified. It needs to be completely dead. And then come follow me. This is, this is what they were exemplifying here. 
dying to self and seeking God. They asked again. They may have lost, but they weren't defeated. They were more than conquerors in God. The Lord replied, go up for tomorrow I will give them into your hand. This, ha- this has to be one of the most difficult moments to trust God. When we've experienced several defeats in a row and then hear from him to proceed one more time. Just do it one more time. Just, just one more. I know, I know you've suffered loss over and over and over again, but you know what? Go again. Do it again. Well, Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it's impossible to please him. And so we exercise our faith. We say, yes, Lord. We'll go again. Verse 29, so as Israel set, set men in ambush around Gibeah and the people of Israel went up against the people of Benjamin on the third day and set themselves in array against Gibeah as at other times. And the people of Benjamin went out against the people and were drawn away from the city. And as uh, at other times, they began to strike and kill some of the people in the highways, one of which goes up to Bethel and the other to Gibeah and in the open country, about 30 men of Israel. And the people of Benjamin said, they are routed before us as at the first. But the people of Israel said, let us flee and draw them away from the city to the highways. And all the men of Israel rose up out of their place and set themselves in array at Baal Tamar. And the men of Israel who were in ambush rushed out of their place from Marah-Giba. And there came against Gibeah 10,000 chosen men out of all Israel. And the battle was hard. But the Benjaminites did not know that disaster was close upon them. And the Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel, and the people of Israel destroyed 25,100 men of Benjamin that day. All these were men who drew the sword, so the people of Benjamin saw that they were defeated. So in these verses, basically, we have a summary of the defeat of the, of the, uh, the tribe of Benjamin. And then verses 36 through 48 provides basically, basically greater details of that victory. Israel, as we saw here, they ambushed uh, the tribe of Benjamin, much like uh, they had done, the Israelites had done to Ai. You remember that? Uh, Israel had drawn the, the tribe of Benjamin away. They had, uh, basically, they had let uh, the Benjaminites think that, all right, they're routed before us. We're going to take them out just as the other previous two times. 22,000 men fell. Another 18,000 men fell. And here we have another victory before us. Let's chase them down and slaughter them again. And so they chased them out. They went towards Gibeah. They went towards um, uh, Bethel as well. And, they, and they, so, they, so they just went away from, uh, from the, the city itself. And as they pursued them, the Israelites gave this signal. It was smoke that went up. You, you think that our Native Americans um, use smoke to signal? Well, they weren't the first one. It was actually the Israelites that did that back in Israel in this day. But they used this to signal, okay, it's time now. This was actually, this was a common thing that was done. This was something that was done in that day. And they gave the signal to destroy the city and all that was in it. On that day, 25,100 of the tribe of Benjamin fell by the edge of the sword. Remember that there were 25,000 who gathered another 700. So 25,100 fell. 600 were still out there. So let's continue to read because at this point, Israel finally knew victory. Uh, They judged the uh, tribe of Benjamin severely is what we see here. 
Um, verse 36 again. So the people of Benjamin saw that they were defeated. The men of Israel gave ground to Benjamin because he trusted the men in ambush whom, whom they had set against Gibeah. Then the men in ambush hurried and rushed against Gibeah. The men in ambush moved out and struck all the city with the edge of the sword. Now the appointed signal between the men of Israel and the men in the main ambush was that when they made a great cloud of smoke rise up out of the city, the men of Israel uh, should turn in battle. Now Benjamin had begun to strike and kill about 30 men of Israel. They said, surely they are defeated before us as in the first battle. But when the signal began to rise out of the city in a column of smoke, the Benjaminites looked behind them, and behold, the whole of the city went up in smoke to heaven. Then the men of Israel turned, and the men of Benjamin were dismayed, for they saw that disaster was close upon them. Therefore, they turned their backs before the men of Israel in the direction of the wilderness, but the battle overtook them. And those who came out of the cities were destroying them in their midst, surrounding the Benjaminites. They pursued them and trod them down, from Noah, as far as opposite Gibeah, on the east, 18,000 men of Benjamin fell, all of them men of valor, and they turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Rimon. 5,000 men of them were cut down in the highways, and they were pursued hard to get them. And 2,000 men of them were struck down. So all who fell that day of Benjamin were 25,000 men who drew the sword, all of them, them men of valor. But 600 men turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Rimon and remained at the rock of Rimon four months. And the men of Israel turned back against the people of Benjamin and struck them with the edge of the sword, the city, men and beasts, and all that they found and all the towns that they found, they set on fire. So the only men of the tribe of Benjamin who remained numbered 600 so these 600 fled to the rock of Rimon for four months to hide from Israel. As Israel destroyed their city and all the life within it and all, all their towns, they destroyed completely, as we just read. This was now their victory. They completely annihilated them, leaving only 600 men of every, every warrior that had come out to oppose them. They, they only left 600. That was it. But don't miss this. This is really important. Look back at verse 35. We should never miss this. Because it says very clearly, and the Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel. Who was it? The Lord. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. It wasn't in their own strength that they did this. It was, it was the Lord that did it. They kept seeking the Lord. Remember, they got defeated once, 22,000 men. Second time, 18,000 men. This time, the Lord defeated them. And they went on and they had victory. They were used as instruments of judgment against the, those who have, had committed abomination, remember, in Gibeah. They were used as that. But they, they had the victory, but they had the victory in the Lord. Even though Israel had also been involved in idolatry, previous to this, and we're still not doing things entirely right. The Lord was their victory. And for the moment, they were seeking God with broken and contrite hearts. And God gave them the victory. They were used as an instrument of judgment over the Benjaminites. Israel didn't give up, even when they had two great losses in two consecutive battles. We ought to learn from this. To weep before God and seek Him, but never give up. To fast and deny the flesh from interfering and hearing and seeking the Lord. And lastly, we are to sacrifice unto the Lord the praises that he is due 
in the midst of trials and defeat because regardless of what we find ourselves in, he is still worthy and he is still on the throne. And we are to humble ourselves before him knowing that our response to his lordship is simply to be faithful to him regardless of the number of defeats we experience. He is worthy to be praised. Amen? And lastly, Romans 8.28. All things work together for God to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God is working out in you a life that reflects him. Let's, let's not miss that. Whatever it is that we find ourselves in, he's, he's trying to, even in the midst of that, he's trying to, to work in you something that resembles him. That, that's what he's trying to do. To, to cut away some of those areas in your life that, uh, that, that doesn't belong to me. That's not of me. I want you to reflect my glory. My glory. Let him do this work of refining you and purifying you and strengthening you. You'll be better off for it. Because in, in that, you'll be blessing him. And honoring and glorifying him. And that's really the bottom line. That's what matters. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this example in this chapter of how it is that once again that you are faithful. And even in times like these, that the Israelites weren't perfect. We know that. They had their own issues that they had, um, that they were dealing with and the idolatry that even they had given themselves to previous to this, Lord. But we know that at the time that they came before you, broken, and seeking you, that you were there to, Lord, not give them an easy victory, but perhaps to test them to see if they would remain faithful to you and continue to come back to you, that they would, in turn, acknowledge where their hearts were and have genuine repentance of a turning to you and nothing and no one else. And so, Lord, may that be our lives. May we not dismiss or neglect those tough times in our lives. For those are the very things that you are using to refine us, to purify us, to test our hearts that it may be revealed to us those things that are not of you, that we may turn from those and instead commit ourselves to once again following you with pure hearts and clean hands. You are a holy and righteous God, and you are worthy of our praise. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.